passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. When I was uh, in seminary, the, the final class that I had to take was this class that was focused on helping us transition from uh, seminary study to pastoral ministry. Uh, one of the things that we had to do was read this book called Facing Messy Stuff in the Church. Now, there's no book, no class will fully prepare you for getting into ministry to make that transition from classroom time to actually uh, being uh, in, in a church. But, but this book uh, attempted to do that. It was filled with case studies, different examples of messy stuff or things that have gone wrong in actual churches. And our time together in this class was to read a case study and to talk with it or talk about it with other pastors who would and ask how would we address these issues. Many of the issues were addressed with people in the church, but probably the majority of them were focused on failures in church leadership. They were focused on issues with uh, pastors, issues with elders. Issues with those who wanted more power and leadership in the church. Now, we probably don't have to read a book to have our own stories of hypocrisy, our own stories of corruption, of immorality in pastoral leadership and in church leadership. When I was growing up, my parents and I attended a church where the, uh, the role of elder was not at all taken seriously. You didn't even have to be a Christian to be an elder in this church. Uh, what's more, it, it was all about your popularity and whether you had some clout in the community, whether you were considered to be an elder in this church. Being a Christian was not required. A friend of mine, uh, her parents attended a church where uh, they decided that the best way to get people to attend church was to make them church leaders. It's not a great idea, if you ask me. But they would actually invite people uh, to become their leaders to guilt them into attending church. These are people that were living in sin, wanted nothing to do with God, and yet they would be asked to be leaders in the church so that way they would attend church. When I was in high school, I attended a church that had a pastor that embezzled tens of thousands of dollars. And when it was discovered, he ran off with his sec sec uh, secretary who, by the way, was pregnant with his child. The church never fully recovered, is no longer in existence. Good elders are hard to find. We probably all have our own examples of church leadership failure. One of the biggest stories here in Spencer over the past year was exactly that, an issue of church leadership failure. Many of us probably have experiences with churches where the leadership is less focused on the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we looked at just a, a couple weeks ago, more focused on the politics of being in church leadership, the power that comes with being an elder or a leadership board member or a deacon. Many of you maybe have even been on boards that are filled with infighting and posturing that you've become disillusioned with church leadership. 
You've been hurt by your past experiences and you want nothing to do with church leadership. A good elder is hard to find. But the issue isn't just moral failure in the church. It's not just wickedness from those who are in church leadership. Oftentimes, churches that that strive to have godly elders have have leaders that are honoring God that fill these qualifications here in 1 Timothy 3. Those types of churches oftentimes don't have enough people. They don't have enough people that are qualified to serve in leadership. Or maybe they don't have enough people that want to or are willing to serve in leadership. This past week, I was in Chicago uh, had breakfast with the pastor of the church that my wife and I used to attend before we, we came here. And, and as I was talking with this pastor and, and now a friend, and we were just talking about ministry, he, he shared one of the biggest struggles for him and that church is that they don't have anyone that is willing to serve as a leader. And even those that are willing are unqualified. Very often the greatest challenge to churches is not that there are unqualified people in leadership, but instead, when we take passages like this very seriously, there aren't enough people to choose from. This morning, we are going to continue in 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3. Chapter 3 talks about qualifications in church leadership. It's all devoted to church leadership. And and specifically, this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 on the qualifications for those who are serving in the role of an elder. I'm going to assume it's a coincidence that none of our elders are here this morning as we talk about this passage, uh, which is kind of funny uh, to me. So maybe I just need to be talking to myself. Uh, now, now, here's why this is so important for us this morning. Uh, over time, churches will take on the characteristics, uh, uh, the qualities, the passions, the strengths, the weaknesses of their leaders. For better or worse, that's what's going to happen over time. If you have leaders that are sincere, the church will become sincere. If you have leaders that are focused on missions, then your church will become focused on missions. If you have leaders that are generous, then you will become generous as a church. On the other hand, if you have leaders that are stingy, unloving, and divisive, that's exactly what is going to happen to the church. That's why this is so important for us this morning. What really this passage boils down to is simply this. Healthy churches start with healthy leaders. Healthy churches start with healthy leaders. We've been talking about what does it mean for us to be a healthy church here at Crosswinds. And as we seek to be a healthy church, we have to recognize that first and foremost, this starts with healthy leaders. So this morning, first we're going to take a few seconds just to look at the role of an elder. What does the Bible say about what an elder is called to do? And then after that, we're going to spend some time looking at the qualifications of elders, those who are qualified to serve in this role. As we approach God's word once more, let's pray. God, I thank you for these words, and and every single Sunday I try to apply your word to my life before I, I preach it, and yet this morning is particularly applicable. As I read these words of the qualifications for elders, for pastors in the church, I confess that I oftentimes fail 
I feel unqualified, unworthy for this calling. And yet it is your grace that sustains me. It is your grace that sustains our church leadership. And so as we approach your word, God, we ask that you would speak to us through that same grace. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7. Please hear these words. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I mentioned that this passage is talking about elders, and yet we, we open up, and the first thing that, that Paul says is that this is about overseers. And so you might notice the difference here between overseer and elder, and you might say, well, what's the difference? What's, what's Paul saying here? The Bible uses these two terms interchangeably. That's the short answer. The, the term elder and the term overseer mean basically the exact same thing. They're referring to the same position. Elder was a word that had Jewish roots, while overseer was a word that had Greek, Hellenistic roots. And in these two words, there are subtle differences. There's subtle nuances. Elder focuses more on the honor of the position, the care that is required for those that are in this position, while the overseer term refers more to the administrative role, the management role, the leadership role of this position. And so when we talk about elders today, we're referring to overseers as well. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. Now, when we hear these words, you might find it a little bit surprising for a, a few different reasons. First, you might be surprised by relatively how, how unsurprising these qualifications are for an elder. Just about every Christian should probably want to aspire to these qualifications. It's a good idea for every Christian to not get drunk. It's a good idea for every Christian to not love money. It is a good idea for every Christian to be hospitable. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, this command is given to all Christians. But it's also surprising because this passage, while it focuses a great deal on qualifications for leadership, it doesn't actually address what the role of leadership looks like. There's some things that are implied here. But as a whole, this passage does not refer to roles, specifically a job description of what you can expect from your church leaders. In the New Testament, there are four passages on elders. There's this one here in 1 Timothy. In the book of Acts, Paul is uh, talking with the church of Ephesus. He's talking with their elders right before he leaves them for the final times. And he, he charges them with a few certain things, uh, what they are called to do as a church. So Acts 20 addresses this. 
Titus 1 is another similar passage that talks about our calling as Christians when it comes to church leadership. And then finally, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Paul also addresses, or excuse me, Peter addresses roles for elders. As we look at these four passages, I think there are four or five or excuse me, there, there are four or five different things that are addressed in here, and we can boil these down to two key roles. When we're talking about elders, what their roles are in the church, there's really two key roles that elders are called to fill in the church. Let's take a look at both of these. First one is this. Elders are to lead the church. Elders are to lead the church. This is an administrative role. This is a managing role. This is guiding. This is is filling this role of leadership and vision for the church and how the church is to live out God's calling to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. This role is tied up in this word overseer. It is the implicit call of verse 5 here that talks about managing one's family. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 5 when it charges people to manage their household and to lead the church by exercising oversight. Elders are called to be in tune with God's leading for the church and for the future of that church. Now this calling is expressed in many different ways because God has gifted different people in different ways. Part of this calling is expressed in teaching. In fact, that's why 1 Timothy says that that's a qualification for elders. They are supposed to be able to teach. Part of this is through administration, through being a visionary leader. All this leadership is devoted to God for the good of the church and the spread of the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, Peter is describing what this leadership looks like. And he says that they are to lead, elders are to lead by example in the church. The way that elders are called to lead, the way that elders are called to point people to Jesus is by modeling it with their own lives. I mentioned that the words of 1 Timothy are are great words, good ideas for all Christians. And that responsibility lies with elders to show people how to live out the gospel in their daily lives, in their specific contexts. So elders are called to lead the church. Another thing that we see from these passages is that elders are not just to lead the church, they're also to shepherd the church. Elders are to shepherd the church. Verse 5, again, here in 1 Timothy, assumes that the elders are shepherding the church. They're caring for those in the church. First Peter talks about shepherding those who are in God's flock. That is a calling for elders. In Acts chapter 20, as, as Paul is leaving the church in Ephesus, he charges the, the church in Ephesus to care for those that God has entrusted to them. And in verse 35 of chapter 20, very powerful words. He describes how elders are to care and to love and to lead their church. And they're to do it sacrificially, giving themselves away for the church. Elders are to lead the church and elders are to shepherd the church. You see, God has, has charged elders to do both of these things. But here's the, here's the confusing thing for our context. Here at Crosswinds, we have two boards. 
We have a leadership board and we have a, a board that is called our elder board. Our leadership board focuses primarily on organizational administrative tasks. They uh, focus on the vision of our church and the budget for our church. As a multi-site church, we have a location here in Spencer. We have a location in Spirit Lake, but we share one leadership board. Our leadership board is made up of people from Spencer and from Spirit Lake. We have nine people who serve on our leadership board. This is an elected position. Uh, Dan Hassman, if you want to just wave. Dan is on our leadership board. And Luke Summers over here is on our leadership board as well. Luke is actually currently serving as our chair. Now, each year we, we elect people as a church to serve on our leadership board, but our leadership board is not representative. What that means is that we don't have certain delegates from Spencer that are sent to Spirit Lake or vice versa to represent our interests here at the Spencer campus. What this also means is that while we only have two people from Spencer now, it is possible five years from now we could have seven from Spencer and only two from Spirit Lake. And when we look at the elder responsibilities in the New Testament, this calling As a church, or as this calling for elders to lead the church, I think that that's basically what the leadership board does. In other words, it's my conviction that these words, these qualifications, are for our leadership board members. Someone like Dan, someone like Luke, should fill these qualifications. But in addition to a leadership board, our church also has an elder board. Our elder board focuses on the spiritual needs of our church. They focus on pastoral counseling, prayer, shepherding, the the needs of our church body. And currently we have four vocational elders. I'm one of those. These are our pastors. And we have four non-vocational elders. Steve Fox, if you know him, uh, he is one of our non-vocational elders. And Dave Alberts is in the final stages of joining our elder board. He is in in just the final stages there. And and he will be another non-vocational elder for our church. Now, here's, here's why I bring this up. It's because when we look at the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think that they apply to both our leadership board and to our elder board. The leadership board primarily fills the, the first role of an elder, this role of, of leading and guiding the church, while the elder board fulfills the second role, this role of shepherding and caring for the church body. These aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, Luke is a pretty caring guy. He's a a great guy when it comes to that. So it's not like you can approach, you can't approach Luke and ask for uh, him to care about you because he will. Right? Okay. (laughs) And the same thing is true for our uh, our elders. They they provide some sort of leadership. They, They speak into our vision. So these aren't mutually exclusive. But both are called to fill the qualifications of First Timothy chapter 3. It's my conviction that First Timothy 3, 1 through 7, talks about both our elder board and our leadership board. And so when we look at these qualifications, I think they refer to people like Dan. They refer to people like Luke. They refer to people like Steve. They refer to people like Dave Alberts. And they refer to me. We must fit this standard, these qualifications for church leadership. You see, in the New Testament... Elders cared for the church. They led the church. But the the New Testament has a sobering final word. And I just want to read these words from Titus. 
I mentioned that Titus chapter 1 talks a bit about uh, elders as well. Hear these words from verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. I I just want to focus on that phrase there, as God's steward. It is crucial for our elders to remember and realize. It is crucial for us as a church to remember and realize that elders are the stewards of God's church. God has entrusted them with the success and the health of the church. God will hold them responsible for how they lead. God will hold them responsible for how they love, how they guide, and how they care for the church. It is God's church. But God has entrusted it into the hands of elders. And he expects a report. They will answer to God for how well they did or how well they didn't do while they were in charge of God's church. It's a sobering reminder for us. It is a great calling that we must remember. And that's why this passage is so important for us. When we talk about the context of First Timothy, as we looked a couple weeks ago at the, the charge for the church to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we talk about being a healthy church in, verse, or in chapter 1, this, this calling to hold to the true gospel, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth through prayer. Soon we're going to look at the the heart of this book here in 1 Timothy. In chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, it says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The heart of the church is not only that they have been charged with a global commitment to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and through prayer, but also that they are the household of God, that they are the people of God, that God dwells in the midst of the church Not only have they been entrusted with the gospel, as we see in chapter 1, but also that they are charged with holding forth that gospel in the midst of our world to those who are outside our walls. The church cannot do this without godly leaders. The church cannot do this without godly leaders. And God, in his infinite wisdom, meant for the church to have leaders. Stewards before God who are accountable to God for whether the church fulfills its mission or not. That's the role of an elder. An elder leads the church, an elder shepherds the church, and an elder is a steward before God of the church. But if that's the role of an elder, then we ask, who is qualified for these things? In these seven verses, Paul lays out 16 explicit qualifications and three implicit 
qualifications here. Many of these are straightforward. They're repetitious. But I think what we see here is that this boils down to just five key categories for elders. Let's look at these briefly and, and let's, uh, let's read this passage once more. Starting in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I mentioned that there are five categories that, that are essentially addressed here when it comes to qualifications. The first one is this. Elders must be reputable. They must be people of good repute. Verse 2 says that elders are called to be above reproach. Verse 7 says essentially the same thing, but he emphasizes here that this is not just for those who are inside the church, but those who are outside the church as well. Let's look at both of these callings. It is vitally important for elders to be well-respected in the church. Their moral conduct, their moral character must be completely and utterly unquestioned. If you are expecting someone to lead the church, then they must be above reproach. This qualification here is describing basically all that follows these words. There should be no red flags about elders. There should be no concerns about their conduct in the church. And it's not just for inside the church, their actions in the church, but also outside the church as well. They must be well-respected by those who are outside the church. I I was doing some study this past week, and I saw this one church in Alabama. It was very, very interesting. They took this passage very seriously. And so when they were electing a new elder, they would actually take out a, a section of the paper In Birmingham, Alabama, a large metro area, they would post something in the paper saying, we are asking this person to become an elder. If you have any concerns with this, even though you don't attend our church, we would ask that you approach us and share your concerns. The elders must be above reproach, not just inside the church, but outside the church as well. We must be deeply concerned with the reputation of the gospel community, with the reputation of the church, with those who are outside the church walls, with non-believers. This is not because we are willing to compromise gospel truth, but because we want to see people come to Jesus through the testimony of faithful living from our elders. Elders must be in a place where they are reputable in the eyes of the church body and in the community. Next qualification we see is this. Elders must prioritize their families. Elders must prioritize their families. Verse 2 says that the elder is to be a husband of one wife. Verses 4 and 5 charge the elder with managing their household well, leading their children well. There's a lot of debate out there about what does it mean to manage your household well. Does it mean that your children have to be Christian? 
Does it mean that they can't be disobedient? If it doesn't mean that, or if it does mean that they, can be, that they can't be disobedient, where is that line drawn? How much is too much disobedience? There's a ton of debate on what this means, but I think the best answer is a case-by-case basis. Not one size fits all. Not one list of rules describes who is qualified as managing their household well and who isn't. Now, there's also quite a bit of debate out there about what does it mean to be the husband of one wife. Some say that this passage rules out singles. Others say that this is referring to polygamy. Others say that this prohibits divorce. What's going on here? Well, what Paul is essentially saying in in Greek is literally this phrase. He says, one woman man. This must be a one woman man. He's referring to marital faithfulness. This is far deeper than divorce. This is a soul commitment to your spouse. Winston Churchill actually sums this up pretty well. There's this uh, old anecdote about him. He was at a dinner sitting next to his wife, and someone asked Winston Churchill, if you could be anyone else besides yourself, who would you be? And without missing a beat, he said, I would like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. One, he's extremely smart that he said that with his wife right there. Two, he's extremely sappy that he said that, but he sums up this passage quite well. This soul commitment, this singular devotion to one's spouse. The bar is set extremely high here. There is no other woman in the life of an elder. This is not a person who is a flirt. This is not a person who entertains lust. Elders take their wedding vows very seriously. And it shows in the ways that they live. Elders must prioritize their families. Next charge is this. Elders must be self-controlled. In, chapter, or in verse 2, we see several qualifications here. In verse 3, we see that he is not to be a drunkard. He is not to be angry. He is not to be ruled by money. Elders are not to be ruled by a substance such as alcohol or an idol such as money. They are to be ruled by God. Rather than being ruled by arguments and anger through God's help, elders are supposed to rule over their emotions. They are called to be self-controlled. Our next qualification is this. Elders must minister. Elders must minister. Verse 2, the very end of that verse, says that elders are called to be hospitable and elders must be able to teach. Now, what we see in the New Testament is that hospitality is required of all Christians, but this is one area where Christians, uh, where elders specifically are called to lead by example. They must have an open house. People must be welcome around their table, in their home. They must be friendly. But more than that, elders are not just to be hospitable. They are also to be able to teach. Now, there's a lot of debate on what does that mean. Does that rule out people who would be wonderful candidates for being an elder if they just can't teach? I think Titus, again, shed some light on this in verse 9. He, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In the first century, elders did all of the teaching, whether or not they were in full-time ministry. They participated in the teaching. 
And Paul emphasizes here that it is not necessarily a winsome ability to communicate that is required. It's not being seen as a good communicator, but instead, according to Titus chapter 1, their ability to hold right doctrine and communicate that right doctrine with others. Whatever that context may be, whether it is in front of a large group, whether it's in front of a small group, whether it's one-on-one, they understand right doctrine and they are able to communicate that right doctrine and to address false teaching. Now, there's a principle here to glean. In addition to hospitality, in addition to being able to teach, the passage doesn't explicitly mention it, but I think it is it is wonderful, good idea here. Church leaders are already serving in the church, no matter what capacity they are serving in. Church leaders are already ministering in the church. They don't jump in and start leading. They are already serving in the church, whatever that capacity may be. Before I was on staff at our previous church, my wife and I, every single Saturday, or not every single Saturday, about once a month uh, on Saturday mornings, we were in charge of cleaning the entire church. That was our role when we got to that church of serving in the church. Crystal taught Sunday school. I served as a greeter and an usher. We found needs, and we decided that we were going to fill those needs. And so if you want to be an elder... Just some practical advice for you. If you want to be an elder, Paul says that that's a good thing. He says it's a noble calling. Get started, get started by serving faithfully somewhere else. Get started by serving right now. One, one reason, it's just practical. It's practical because others will get to know you, and they can affirm that calling if it is truly your calling. And second, it's a way to show that you're not just in it for the position You're not just in it for the power, but to serve and to steward the church before God. Elders must minister. And the final qualification here that Paul mentions is that elders must be mature. Elders must be mature. Paul gives a reason here. He says that elders must be mature so they can stay humble. It is a bad idea to put people into leadership shortly after after they become a Christian. It doesn't matter how gifted they are. It doesn't matter how talented they are. It can go to their head. I'm speaking from experience on that one. Months after I became a Christian, the, the ministry that I was a part of, I got, I got put into a significant position of leadership in this church plant. It wasn't an elder role by any means, but I was performing many of the roles that an elder would perform. I was speaking on Sunday mornings. I was leading small groups. I was in charge of worship and other ministry areas. And I quickly became pretty full of myself. And it took several years of hard lessons to unlearn the things that were quickly learned. Because I was put into a position of leadership at a young level of maturity. Elders must be mature spiritually. They don't have to be old. Remember, Timothy is young, according to this passage. They don't have to be old, but they do have to be mature in their faith. As God's stewards, they are accountable before God, and they have to have the right foundation in order to be able to fulfill the mission that God has given them as a church, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Healthy churches start with healthy leaders. 
And so as we close, just three challenges for us this morning. First, uh, specifically for those of us that are currently serving as elders. So specifically for Dan, Luke, myself, Steve, and Dave. These words are a charge for us to lead well. To take responsibility as stewards of God's church and to take that responsibility very seriously. To lead well, to shepherd well, to reflect the words of 1 Timothy in all areas. To model our leadership by example. To do all of these things. But also, this is a charge for all of us. All of us should seek to be engaged in ministry. All of us should seek to be above reproach in and out of the church. All of us should prioritize our families. All of us should grow in our spiritual maturity. All of us should be self-controlled. This is a charge for all of us to live out these qualifications. But more specifically, Paul says here that this is a noble calling to want to be an elder, to desire to be an elder. And, and, and so, men specifically, I would ask you to strongly consider if God is calling you to serve in this capacity. If God is calling you to serve as an elder of the church. I know many of you are busy, but I ask you to strongly consider desiring what Paul says is noble. I don't want you to take that as accusatory. I know many of you have different circumstances that are complex, but the reality is many people here are qualified to be elders and yet have refused to seek that out. Many of you aren't, if we're going to be honest. But many of you are. And for that reason... I ask you to strongly consider once more, is God calling you to serve in this capacity? Strongly consider making yourself available for eldership. I trust your decision, whatever that decision may be, but I ask that you would strongly consider once more, is God calling you to serve in this role? And the final challenge for us is this. Would you pray for your leaders? Would you pray for your leaders? It's interesting that here in 1 Timothy, Paul mentions Satan four times, and two of those times are here in relationship to the qualification of elders. The threat is very real. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why Paul spends so much time talking about the family is because it is one of the most vulnerable areas for children uh, for for church leadership i i know story after story uh, of pastors who whose children no longer follow god story after story of marriages that have been ruined because of a lack of wall, uh, of watchfulness of, of men not being a one woman man even our own denomination is not immune when this past year and a half or so one of our denominational leaders had to step down because of marital unfaithfulness The threat is very real. I pray that you would pray for your leaders. That you would pray for the church. And pray that our church and our elders would commit themselves to the spread of the gospel. Healthy churches start with healthy leaders. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the words of 1 Timothy. The the charge that you have given us. The noble calling that you have given to some of us. 
I pray that you would help us as a church to seek your face for our leaders. That these words about qualifications would be true of all of us, no matter what role we serve in. God, it is our desire that we would be a healthy church. Help us to have healthy leaders. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.